welcome back to Kidney Transplant Conversations, our podcast dedicated to the kidney transplant journey and exploring quality care delivery, inclusion, diversity, equity, and access. I'm Rolf Taylor, your host and series producer. All views and opinions expressed in this podcast reflect those of the participants. In this podcast, we're going to discuss two potential challenges in managing chronic kidney disease and kidney transplants. The first is care when you live a long distance from specialist care, and the second is potential financial barriers. Our guest today, Dr. Silas Prescott-Norman, is going to tell us about some very real ways that his hospital center has worked proactively to address both barriers and with tangible results. One thing that has a lot of people worried is the closures of hospitals that has been happening in the last two decades and has been exacerbated by the pandemic. The Cecil G. Shep Center at the University of North Carolina has been tracking hospital closures and reports that across the U.S. we've seen around 138 closures in the last 10 years. Southern states and Appalachian states have been particularly badly hit, but this is a national problem affecting all but a handful of states. Every time a hospital closes, someone must travel further for their care, and of course, this is harder for people with fewer resources. So why is this happening? Well, there are a number of factors. One major factor is something called uncompensated care. It's a situation where care is provided by a hospital, but the patient cannot pay and does not have the insurance. In these instances, the hospital has to carry the burden of the cost unless they can reclaim it from state or federal sources. If those sources are limited, the hospital may become financially not viable. In addition, Changes in rural industries mean many rural communities have seen a general decline in prosperity and reducing employment, and that has reduced the number of people with good insurance. But these people still need care. Hospital finances may be stretched to breaking point as a result. The pandemic pushed many over the edge. A total of 19 hospitals closed in 2020 alone. Another factor in rural hospital closures is shrinking population in the countryside. Although urban and suburban population centers have grown significantly by about 8% in the last 10 years, rural communities are mostly in decline. Fewer people results in less investment and fewer supporting services. Now think about that for a special field like kidney transplantation. All of this means there is a shifting landscape for people who don't live in our cities. It's never been more important that patients do their best to be their own advocates and figure out ways to make healthcare work despite the difficulties and challenges. And their care teams are doing their best to support them, as we will hear from Dr. Norman today. Silas Prescott-Norman, MD, MPH, is a nephrologist at the University of Michigan, working in the transplant program since 2002. And he currently serves as the co-medical director for kidney and pancreas transplant and medical director of the Transplant Multidisciplinary Ambulatory Clinics, which see more than 18,000 patient visits annually. Dr. Norman has made a number of contributions to the transplant program, including the creation of a program to transplant HIV-positive individuals and the development of outreach satellite clinics to allow patients greater access to transplant opportunities and it's this that we'll focus on today. He also serves with and volunteers for a number of organizations related to kidney transplantation, including the National Kidney Foundation of Michigan, the American Kidney Fund, and MOTEP, the Minority Organ Tissue Transplant Education Program. 
and more recently became an advisor to this podcast, representing the American Society of Transplantation. Welcome, Dr. Silas Norman. Well, thank you for having me today. Uh, glad to join you, and I appreciate the work you're doing putting on these podcasts. I think it's uh, very important to help get this information out to the public. So when we think about the provision of kidney transplantation in Michigan, it's a population of about 10 million people. What are the disparities and healthcare challenges that you are most concerned about? So that's a great question. So there's a, a number of them. Um, we're certainly concerned about uh, the differences in access to transplant that we see among racial and ethnic minorities. Uh, there's also uh, a strong component in Michigan that has a, a large rural population where we clearly see differences in access between the urban and rural populations. And perhaps underlying a lot of this is we see substantial differences in access to transplant on the basis of socioeconomic means, uh, particularly among our folks who are impoverished. And after the Flint water crisis, Michigan got some bad press for public health. Do you think that overall the state is doing well with preventive health and public health? Overall, I think they are. I think certainly things like the Flint water crisis really exposed how vulnerable some of our patient populations are. Uh, at the same time, uh, we've had a great partnership with the uh, Michigan Department of uh, Health and Human Services, which has taken a great interest in chronic kidney disease in its prevention and partnered with a number of our local organizations to help minimize kidney disease. It seems like the Flint water crisis was almost a rehearsal for the, the COVID crisis in the sense that it, it amplified pre-existing disparities. Absolutely. And I think the, the Flint water crisis, very much like COVID, uh, showed how tenuous the situation is for a number of the people that we serve and how it doesn't take much to really disrupt uh, their situation and that they don't have a lot to fall back on when faced with some of these challenges. So I took a look at the map of Michigan and, uh, and you can see just how vast and rural much of the state is. You've got major cities like Kalamazoo, Grand Rapids and Flint spread out across the south and then Detroit and Ann Arbor in the southeast corner. And that's as much as a six hour drive from the remote north of the state. So the University of Michigan is in Ann Arbor in the southeast. But for many people with kidney disease needing a transplant, they've had to find their way down to Ann Arbor or Detroit in order to start the process of transplantation. Could you share with us how you went about taking clinics out to the people? Absolutely. So as you mentioned, uh, the majority of the transplant centers are concentrated in southeast Michigan, but we have this broad population. Um, and because of some of the reasons we talked about before, uh, particularly uh, poverty, there's a number of patients who just simply didn't have access to the necessary transportation to get across to our centers. And so we thought what made more sense was really to take our services out to the communities. So what we were able to do with institutional support and with the support of our local partners was to uh, move some of our transplant operations to the local communities and what we did to begin with was we identified some of our local referring partners, and we actually set up our outreach clinics in their offices. And that allowed us to, one, continue the partnership with our referring physicians. It also allowed there to be a place that many patients were familiar with in their local community to come to. And we found in doing this that uh, we saw uh, incremental patients that we wouldn't have seen 
previously that the outreach clinics were well received by both the patients and the referring physicians. And with that encouragement and with the institutional support, we were able to build until we had a total of five outreach clinics across the state. And has that also uh, enabled you to extend your network of referring physicians or referring clinics? It, it has. You know, in the same way as the majority of transplant centers are concentrated in Southeast Michigan and around large urban centers, the same is true for nephrology care in general. And what we find, particularly as we go into Northern Michigan, is that there's very little nephrology care. In fact, we tend to know the names of the handful of nephrologists that are really trying to manage a huge geographic area of patients. And so we were fortunate to already have those individuals as referring physicians to our center by doing outreach clinics, what we really allowed them to do was to send us patients who were otherwise medically appropriate for transplant, but based on their care and knowledge of these patients that they knew really didn't have the means to get down to our center uh, in Ann Arbor. And so it certainly has allowed us to grow uh, the number of patients that are available for the referring physicians to consider for transplantation. I think one of the most fascinating things we've, we've realized about these outreach clinics and realize about the hunger and the desire to have these clinics in the communities is that the patients know about these things. Um, one of the things I think has is, is been almost funny is that as we would plan a new outreach clinic and we would say, we're gonna think about going to Midland, before we really made any concrete moves, I would have patients coming to me saying, hey, I heard that you're gonna have a clinic in Midland. And so it's out there and the patients know and they were, they were ready for it. Uh, if we wondered if the need was there, they were letting us know uh, the need was there and, and they were ready. So they say, if you build it, they will come. But as soon as they knew you had started building it, they were ready. So uh, let's talk about the clinics and, and and how that works when you're taking a, a multidisciplinary team out there, because it's it's not just nephrology, right? You're, you're also taking other specialists. So who do you take out to the to the clinics? Absolutely. So uh, with the caveat that COVID has changed things for us a little bit. But uh, in order to evaluate people properly, um, we need uh, nephrology, we need surgery, we need social work. Uh, and, addition, and in addition, we like to have uh, a nutritional evaluation and people need our financial coordinators to make sure that their insurance and resources are in place. And so when we go to our outreach clinics, uh, typically, it's a nephrologist, a surgeon, and a social worker as the core team. Um, and very often, we also have our financial coordinators uh, coming to clinic as well. So let's talk about finance for a moment, because obviously, finance can be a major barrier to you know, accessing life-saving transplant surgery. What kinds of help are there if you know where to look? And I'm sure your financial coordinators know where to look. Absolutely. So I think there's two or three uh, things for people to know. One, as you alluded to, there's a lot of assistance for people out there. And so one of the things we really try to emphasize is that as much as possible, people's financial resources or their perception of their resources should not be a reason not to pursue transplantation. We, in general, want to have every person who's medically appropriate for transplantation have an opportunity to have a transplant evaluation and have that considered for them. There are a number of ways we can assist people. 
one of the simplest ways our financial coordinators can assist people is to look at their current insurance plans in light of transplantation and help them say, you may want to change this plan or this plan because you know, your particular insurance plan might work well for you now. But given what we know is coming up for transplantation, you're going to be looking at XYZ copays if you stick with this plan, or this plan is going to fail to cover XYZ. So let's make these changes ahead of time to minimize your out-of-pocket costs. And that can be one of the most helpful things. Uh, we help make sure that people have the proper secondary insurance, again, with the idea that transplant medications can be very expensive. And so we want to make sure that people have the necessary coverage in place so that they don't have uh, large bills. We can help connect people to a number of community resources, places like the American Kidney Fund uh, that helps connect people to resources and helps uh, people uh, afford their insurance premiums to help facilitate transplantation. And then importantly, post-transplant, all of the major pharmaceutical companies that we work with all have programs to help people better afford their medication. And so really, we want people to really be able to focus on their medical care and really let us help support them in making sure that it's affordable for them. You mentioned that you're encouraging people to look at their insurance and change their insurance. So you're encouraging long-term planning. Has that become easier because of the Affordable Care Act, setting up more insurance exchanges and making it easier for people to change their insurance if they need to? I think definitely. I think definitely. We certainly have patients who, who are explicitly on some of the plans that have been made available through uh, the Affordable Care Act. And I think uh, certainly in transplantation, the more we can expand access to quality insurance coverage, it only helps uh, our patients. And, and really, when we think about the cost of transplantation and the cost of dialysis, it actually is helpful to society in general that we're able to move people from dialysis, which is extraordinarily expensive, to transplantation that's not cheap, but is substantially less expensive uh, over the long term. And then covering the copay costs, you would you would encourage people to look at things like copay insurance as a supplementary insurance. Absolutely. So supplementary insurance, and then you know, and again, there's a number of programs to look at specific medications uh, that people may need, and there's a number of ways uh, to have those covered. There's a number of programs that have uh, means tested or income based cutoffs or sliding scales. Uh, for costs to help uh, patients uh, afford their medications to make sure that every transplant that gets done, we can support and make sure people have the best outcome possible. And what I did notice is, is that there is a uh, Society for Transplant Financial Coordinators. So I double-checked, and I think we're going to have to ask them if they'll come and uh, join the advisory committee for the, for the podcast, and we can, we can maybe get a financial um, transplant coordinated come and uh, tell us, uh, you know, firsthand what they're doing. In terms of your outreach clinics, after you've done the surgery, uh, it's vital that patients look after their grafts and have regular checkups and maybe fine-tune medication, maintain healthy lifestyles. Have the outreach clinics been able to facilitate better post-surgery engagement as well? I think so. I think so. A couple of the things we've been able to do are we want everybody to keep track of their blood pressure, their blood sugars, if that's appropriate, early on their urine output and some other things. And so uh, we have a lot of education of patients to let them know the expectations ahead of time. 
one of the things outreach has been good for is one, for our patients who are more than a year out, we have the opportunity to see them in the outreach clinics. And that just facilitates everything because their transportation time, as well as distance is cut down. It often facilitates their support people being able to join the visit with them. And that way we make sure that we're getting more clear, accurate information that the support people really understand what's being asked of them. The other benefit we found by being in the office of a number of our referring physicians is that those physicians can just physically come down and see us while we're there. And we can run through patients together to make sure that we have uh, a comprehensive care plan for each patient and that we're all on the same page and working uh, together uh, for the betterment of the patient. So they've definitely been helpful. So then you you have the whole team together, including the primary care team or the referring team, and you can get into alignment for the for the care plan. Absolutely, absolutely. And I think one of the things that patients like to see is that all of their providers are working well together. And so I think it's very encouraging for the patients to know, uh, in this case, that two of their physicians are directly speaking to each other about their care plan. And so I can say to the patient, I spoke to Dr. Such and Such, and we agree that this is the plan, and they can say the same thing. And so I think that uh, is reassuring to the patient that they're really getting sort of one uh, comprehensive set of care. And what sort of picture are you getting in terms of the outreach clinics impacting disparities? So I think that's so that's a terrific question because you could locate outreach clinics anywhere in theory. So one of the things we did was looked at the map of Michigan, similarly to what you did, and tried to say, of course, where are areas of markets from a business standpoint that might be good to move into, but but also with a very uh, deliberate eye of where are our underserved populations and can we make those two meet? From our standpoint, we could see that the west side of the state was relatively underserved for transplant, and so that was a place to go. As we move north in the state, as we talked about the limited amount of nephrology care that's there, we know that that's an underserved area of the state. And as we get north, as we get west, we're also getting into the rural populations. Uh, of the state. And so we were able to not just go where there's a market share in particular, but really go where the patients are, where they need us. And so we deliberately tried to co-locate our clinic in, in areas specifically where we thought patients had decreased access to transplant uh, opportunities. And I know that in the course of facilitating a transplant, you get to know your patients pretty well. So is there a, a case study or story that comes to mind that where someone really obviously benefited from the outreach and provision of transplant financial coordinators? Uh, there's, there's probably multiple, but I'll tell you this one. So uh, we have a gentleman who lives in northern Michigan, uh, up near the Sioux. So in the, in the upper part of Michigan, uh, their drive to our transplant center is about seven hours. And so we have a uh, clinic currently in Midland, which is in the middle of Michigan. And so it's not a short drive, but you know, a uh, four hour drive is meaningfully different than a seven hour drive. And so being able to evaluate this person uh, in that clinic uh, allowed us to see somebody that we likely would never have seen simply because of the distance. Uh, in addition, this is a person who had uh, limited transportation, uh, a limited social support network, and again, if we were just making them come all the way down to Ann Arbor with that network, in the past, we would have said, this is probably not doable because realistically, logistically, 
this is not going to work. You don't have the, the, the support in place, the transportation in place to make this work. Um, but because of the outreach clinics, we were able to facilitate that. And then in terms of the financial aspect of it, this is somewhat of, of relatively modest means. Uh, and so uh, getting uh, finance involved early on allowed us to really make sure, again, insurance-wise, we were in a good place, that we had thoughtful plans about what we were going to do around uh, support and transportation, that we could think creatively about uh, some of the visits and that maybe we wouldn't do things exactly the way we typically do per protocol, but can we come up with a, a circumstance that's going to work for that patient? And we were able to successfully get this, uh, this individual transplanted, uh, and they're doing well. Um, one of the things uh, for us as a large, you know, academic medical center, you know, uh, on a school campus like a lot of centers are, our historic model has been, you know, as a tertiary care center, people coming to us, and we just expect that people come to us. And I think the, to the benefit of the patients, I think the big cultural shift that we've had over the last 10 years or so is the thought that we should really be bringing services to the patients uh, in the communities where they live, trying to break down barriers to access to transplant and making it as easy as possible for people to get transplanted. Uh, and it turns out that uh, putting the patient first, thinking about the patient's interests first and what might be uh, best for the patient experience, you can do that and still have a uh, financially successful center. And so, you know, this is not necessarily doing care at cost. There's a win-win here, which is that the transplant center in the hospital wins in delivering this kind of care and patients win. And, and we're able to move, I think, closer to our mission, which is really to get as many medically appropriate people transplanted as possible. Right. Now that's great. And what, what year did you start with the outreach clinics? Our outreach clinics are a little more than 10 years old, a little before yeah. that, actually. So, so it must be about 12 years old uh, at this point. Yeah. And then along came COVID. Suddenly, it's much harder for you to travel and to do face-to-face -face outreach. Can you tell us how you switched to a more of a virtual care and how you managed to maintain the volume of transplants um, since COVID came along? Absolutely. So like a lot of transplant centers, we had a, a roughly two-month downtime where we stopped doing evaluations that were, that were non-urgent uh, uh, at the height of the early height of the pandemic. Uh, but after that, uh, we and the rest of the hospital system made a very rapid transition to virtual care. Uh, including uh, in transplantation. And what that allowed us to do was to continue to do transplant evaluations. And so what we do now is our initial evaluations for everybody are done virtually. Um, and that allows convenience for the patient. Uh, it allows their support people to be often on the video call as well and hear the information. Uh, we don't cut into people's work time nearly as much. And then having done that virtual evaluation, and we do the medical evaluation virtually, we do the nutrition evaluation virtually, and the social work evaluation virtually. And so with all that done, uh, for the patients who otherwise look like they're going to be good candidates, then we can subsequently set a time for patients to come to their face-to-face -face, uh, evaluation. Uh, that face-to-face -face evaluation either happens in Ann Arbor or at one of the established outreach clinics. So that happens. And one of the great things for the patients, I think, has been in changing this, this, the way we do things, it used to be in the outreach clinic, the patient would be there for four or five hours. It used to be when they came to Ann Arbor, it was roughly an eight hour day. 
because they would see everybody and just the way the day was set up. Um, in doing a lot of the history gathering virtually at first, in having social work virtual and having nutrition virtually, those are less people they need to see. So when they come see us in outreach, uh, then they're really just seeing the nephrologist and the surgeon. Those are half an hour visits each. So we've, we've turned what was a five to eight hour day for the patient into a one hour day for the patient, uh, which, which has huge benefits uh, uh, for the patient uh, and for us. The patients are often you know, more receptive to the education and the messages we're giving. As you might imagine, as people sort of approach the end of that seven or eight hour day, they were kind of running out of steam a little bit. Um, so I think it's been a lot more patient friendly. And by breaking it up, it does mean a, a few more visits, but we can work around people's schedules and we give them sort of more digestible chunks uh, of education about transplants. So I think it's worked very well. And as evidenced by our volumes, we're up uh, more than 10% uh, year on year. So at least as evidenced by the volumes, uh, uh, this has worked well. So you've been able to keep things moving that had been previously set up even during during this time of the pandemic. And in the background, um, I know that some policy changes were made uh, for things like reimbursement, which allow, which means that having a telehealth visit um, means you get the same reimbursement as a face-to-face. -face. Is that gonna continue, do you think? So I can't say for sure, but I would have to imagine the answer is yes. Uh, you know, as you mentioned, the current uh, parity between the face-to-face -face visits and the video visits was really under the uh, COVID authorization related to COVID. Um, it's been reauthorized at least once. And I anticipate because it's worked so well, I can't imagine undoing this. It's been such a benefit for the patients. It's been uh, an improvement in efficiency for the transplant centers and other mm -hmm. parts of the hospital. So I certainly hope the billing parity has continued. I think it's been a huge benefit. Have you experienced any kind of digital divide issues that um, have prevented people from getting access to telehealth? Uh, we have. And so, in fact, although we do the majority of our visits as video visits, we do have a handful of visits that are, are still phone visits right now. And those are for people who, in fact, don't have access to a smartphone or an iPad or some device where they can they can do the video visits or uh, often more uh, frequently is that they don't have access to broadband. And that's really the limitation. Uh, certainly when we've done our visits, even some of the video visits, people are clearly at Panera or some other area to get access to wireless, you know, which is great and creative uh, on their part, but highlights that, that as we push for this, we really have to be cognizant of, of the patient groups that we're taking care of. Um, one of the things uh, we've started exploring is partnering with our local physicians, those folks that we have in the outreach clinics that we're working with, uh, work to partner with them to see if we can't provide devices so that people can do video visits from those offices um, as one way to uh, still remove that transportation barrier, still allow people access to virtual visits uh, without uh, adding costs and to get broadband or or upgrade phones just to do medical care. So they can host or facilitate a video visit on the premises, and then that saves that saves people having to do it from a public place. I think so. And, and that allows, you know, again, these physicians, these local physicians are very invested in the patients. They're very invested in helping move these patients uh, towards transplant. And as we discovered in the outreach clinics where the physician said, 
yes, come, what do you need us to do to make this happen? I think this is just one more step in how do we, as really one team of, of physicians and care providers, work in the interest of the patients to help move forward and, and increase access to transplant. It's been really wonderful hearing the story of your outreach clinics today. Thanks so much for, for sharing all of that with us. And it's clear you've, you've made an impact, and I'm sure you're going to continue to make an impact uh, in Michigan, um, in particular in, in reaching out to rural patients. Well, thank you. I have a great team that I work with, and uh, with that team uh, that's really focused on patient care, we've been, able to, we've been able to make some great headway, and I hope we can continue to serve our community. And, and I so much appreciate you having me on today and uh, taking the time to just hear about uh, how we've been able to uh, improve our patient care. Absolutely. And I'm sure it'll be an inspiration to listeners, whether they're patients or whether they're professionals, to, to hear what you've been doing there. Um, any final words you'd like to leave our listeners with? Uh, sure. So one, I would just like to say, if you have advanced chronic kidney disease, for almost everybody, transplant is recognized as the best therapy for kidney disease. And we want everybody to have an opportunity to be evaluated for transplant. We want to let people know that they can refer themselves for a transplant evaluation. And so if your physician or care provider has not referred you, you can refer yourself directly to a transplant center for evaluation. So we encourage people to do that. Don't let the finance concerns deter you from exploring transplantation. We have a lot of ways we can help people. And, you know, finally, I might say that Care of transplant is a partnership between you, your local providers, and the transplant center. We're here for you. We want to help take care of people, and we just encourage people to reach out. Dr. Silas Norman, thank you so much. It's been fascinating, and uh, please join us again on the podcast at some point in the future. Absolutely. Well, thank you for having me. And thank you to our listeners for joining us today. If you enjoyed the podcast, please consider sharing it with others and subscribing on any of the leading podcast platforms and smart speakers. We also thank the participants and advisors who helped create this podcast and our underwriter, Veloxis Pharmaceuticals. Join us again soon for more kidney transplant conversations. Until next time, take care and be well. Copyright Project Advocacy 2021.